This is Christina Klee, and you are totally listening to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Just want to thank all of our fans and listeners. Really appreciate the support. You guys are awesome. Before we get into tonight's film review, just want to give a quick shout out to our website, don'tgooutthere.com. Everything about our podcast is on the website. All of our episodes and interviews, if you want to check those out, We've done some incredible interviews in the past. Go check them out there in a specific tab by themselves so you don't have to scroll through hundreds of episodes on Apple or Spotify, etc. We also have our store if you want to grab a shirt, a mouse pad, a hat, all that good stuff. We'd love to see your pictures, you know, rep your favorite podcast. And Chan's Etsy page is also attached if you want to grab a Tumblr. All of our social media links are on there as well. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. Like us, subscribe us, follow us, all that good stuff. And the last thing I want to shout out on our Website is our Patreon. We call it Blood Donors. Uh, we you know we have the traditional monthly reoccurring kind. If you want to support us, help us pay the bills, as we say. Or if you want, if there's a movie you want us to review, that option is available as well. Uh, just check out our website, don'tgooutthere.com. Also, if you haven't noticed, we've recently joined the Believe Network. So there's some ads on our program now. But if you want ad-free content, Go check us out on Blood Donors. The ad-free episodes will be available there. We appreciate your support. We hope you enjoy the episode. All right, guys, let's jump into the film review. This month's theme is 2010's Decade, so any movie which from 2010 to 2019 is a theme. And this week is Brother Mike's pick. Mike, would you like to announce your pick? Yeah, so I went with 2019. By the way, it's great to be back. Uh, I'm burnt, and I have raccoon eyes because of my sunglass tan, and it's awesome. Uh had a really long day today, but that's okay. We're back in action, baby. I chose 2019's Us from Jordan Peele. We've already done Get Out, and I really kind of wanted to go back to the Jordan Peele vault. There's not a ton to go back to, but um, slowly becoming one of my favorites. And I got to be honest with you, the very first time I saw this film in theaters, I had mixed emotions because I like Get Out so much, which we, which you can find our review for at Don't Go Out There dot com. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, a new jingle. I like the twist on it there. <laughs> twist is big. Uh, no, but uh, I really like Get Out. And so when I got out of theater from the first time I saw Us, I was like, that was interesting. That's different. And I do think they're very different films. Like, I can't express that enough. Um, but upon further rewatches, and I've seen it now maybe four to six times, maybe. And I like it a little more each time I watch it. I do. I, I think it's a really good fucking horror movie. It's long, and in parts, I think it's longer than it should be. Pause. Uh, see? Uh, but no, I think Jordan Peele does a great job. I think the writing is really good. The acting performances, which we're going to get into from the cast, I think is outstanding. Shout out to Nupita Largo, who I think does a great job um, playing two very different, distinct characters. Uh, love the way the movie shot. I wanted to go with it since you gave me the... You went with the 2010s. I went to the very last possible year I could squeeze in there for a pick. So I was excited that you went with that, though, so we could finally do this film. No, no, good pick. Uh, I got to be honest. This is a movie I wish I liked more. 
but I just don't. Uh, I have my qualms, which I think are fair. But it's a lot of nitpicks throughout the film. The comedy, while it worked in Get Out with Rod from TS motherfucking A, I just didn't vibe with the, some of the comedy throughout. I didn't think Gabe delivered it well at the right time. And while I did like the twist ending, that saved a couple points for me, honestly. There's just something about it that I just can't invest and get into and just like it that much. I don't, I've, like you mentioned, Mike, you've watched it, what, four to six times now. I've watched this movie four to five times in the past week, just trying to convince myself to like it more. And I just don't. I, I'm not saying I hate the movie. No, I get it. But Get Out is definitely Jordan Peele's best movie to me. Nope is actually so. visually beautiful. It's acted yeah, well as well. For sure. I'm just not into alien sci-fi stuff, so it just didn't work yeah. for me. But but us, I'll get into at the end my qualms, but I just wish I liked it more, but I just don't. Brian, you want to go ahead and go next? Yeah, I'm with Nico on this one. Like I was so pleasantly surprised with Get Out and kind of disappointed with this one. And maybe that's on me. You know, maybe I had too high of expectations, but the trailer had me like really excited for it. And honestly, the first 30 minutes, I was really into it. And then I just feel like around when the tethered family from the upside down get there and the movie went worldwide, it went prestige worldwide. It just, it just, it hit a brick wall for me. Like I, I, I know that there is a class subtext and a biblical one as well. And I know the rabbits were symbolizing rebirth or whatever, but sure. it just didn't a hundred percent hit me like I hoped it would. You know, I wanted something more sinister, more evil, uh, with mirrors playing such a big part in demonic windows and things like that. I thought that's that's what I was getting. And I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I kind of felt myself wanting that. I kind of wanted to be scared. And instead, I kind of got this zombie land type thing almost with the kids joking about like how many kills they have. And I don't know. I didn't hate this or anything. I, I agree with you completely, Nico. It just was kind of just disappointing. Like it was unique. It did have great acting and we'll get to that. I mean, there's, there's a lot to unpack in this movie. So this movie is a movie that like Mike, I uh, didn't like as much the first time as I have in my subsequent rewatches. It's definitely grown on me to the point where now I'd like it a lot. Um, So Mike, it looks like we're going to have a classic two V two tag team match here. Some may even say that we're in this together. Uh, you know, the movie is, from what I've gathered and reading about it, it's a medic- metaphor about the social structure in America and how a portion of society is kept hidden and out of the forefront, so only a certain image is portrayed. Um, I, yeah, man, I, I think the acting is great. I think the, the twists are good. I think, uh, like I said, it's just one of those that grew on, it grows on me more and more every time I watch it. If I watch it again, after we do this episode, the score may go up again. Who knows? Mm-hmm. So I like it. Jordan Peele is, to me, one of the most genius uh, minds in, I don't even want to say horror, because, you know, Key and Peele, he was a comedic genius as well. So I think Jordan Peele is sure. one of the brightest minds in the in the industry. Sure. Really quick, I do think, and I the, the reason I said at the beginning that I think this is such a different movie from Get Out is one – Kind of a like, you know, like a psychological thriller more so. And yeah, there's some horror aspects clearly, but I do think it kind of messes with your mind a little more. This one's pretty much, a, you know, a straight horror film. You know, there's there's slasher vibes, there's home invasion vibes, there's you know like 
even zombie movie vibes, if you want to go that direction. So I do feel like he kind of tried to combine a bunch of genres in this one. This feels like much more of a attempt at a you know classic horror movie. So uh, I get what you two are saying. I do because even for me, someone that likes it upon you know more rewatches, it does drag in a few places. There's just a few places I would maybe trim down just a smidge. Uh, but I and there's a lot of exposition in certain parts. I don't think is necessary. But yeah, no, I'm excited to talk about it because, like you said, Dustin, really like Jordan Peele. I like him more every time I watch one of his movies. But he is very he's become very divisive with these last two movies. You either love us or nope or you hate it, except for these two apparently who are taking the role of middle of the road Mike tonight, uh, uh, Nico and Brad. That's the thing, though. It's like I don't hate the movie. I just don't love this one at all. Uh, like like Brian mentioned, and all of you pretty much, the acting is good. Lupita kills it. The kids are good, especially Jason. I think the little kid who plays Jason is really good. The The score is great. The cinematography, it looks oh. good. There's some good shots in the movie. But, man, it's just – I don't know. I, I just didn't like the execution of the concept. It just sure. it didn't work for me. And I got a lot of, like, nitpicks throughout I'm going to touch on at the end. But any more opening thoughts before we just jump into the scene by scene? I'm scared yeah, this is going to be like Get Out and be another two-hour episode. <laughs> no, we're good. The score is fucking incredible. Love the score. Fucking awesome. And All right, the five guys. On it, the five-on-it string version is awesome, too. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. No, it is. That song blew up on TikTok. All right. There are thousands of miles of tunnels beneath the continental United States, abandoned subway systems, unused service routes, and deserted mine shafts. Many have no known purpose at all. We see, we see a commercial for Hands Across America. It's about 6 million Americans tethering themselves in the fight against hunger. We see a little girl with her mom and dad at a carnival playing games. Pops plays another game as Mama goes to the bathroom. He says he'll watch her. Addie sneaks away and sees a man holding a sign saying Jeremiah 1111. She wanders onto the beach until she finds Vision Quest. She goes into the building full of mirrors and the lights go out. She's flustered seeing the exit sign appear in the reflection of so many mirrors. She whistles the itsy bitsy spider until she hears someone else doing it. She turns around, but her reflection doesn't. Fading away shot of a white rabbit as opening credits roll and title card. We now see several rabbits in cages in a room full of classroom desks. Present day, we meet the family of Gabe, Adelaide, Zora, and Jason. Gabe scares his kids, waking them up as they make it to their summer home. Dad cracks some jokes as they eat lunch. Zora wants to quit running and practice driving while up here. Adelaide is caught off guard hearing they're going to the beach. Jason fails at doing his magic trick, calling his lighter bullshit. We see a flashback of young Adelaide and her parents going through therapy. After being lost, she's gone silent. Her parents want their little girl back. Gabe asks Adelaide why they have a beach house, but don't go to the beach. She shoots him down, saying she's not going. But Gabe guilts her into going, and he agrees to leave before dark. Adelaide can't find Jason in the house, but she does find a stuffed rabbit and pictures of her younger self, seeing flashbacks of herself dancing. She snaps out of it hearing Jason trapped in the closet. They hear a horn honking and they go outside to see Gabe driving a boat in, in a circle until the motor craps out. All right, Brian, that's opening set of scenes. What'd you think? Yeah, this group of scenes and the next is without a doubt my favorite in the movie, and it's not even really close. Like this cold open had me on the edge of my seat and I started to really get sick to my stomach thinking this little girl is about to get kidnapped or murdered. And like I, I literally had a, a real sense of dread there. 
Um, I've always loved the Santa Cruz board, uh, beach boardwalk at night, you know, ever since the Lost Boys. And I thought it was a really cool Easter egg when Adelaide's mother said, you know, they're shooting a movie over there by the carousel. I see you, Jordan Peele. Uh, something else I had no idea about is that this Carney, uh, Duke Nicholson, his two characters he plays are named Danny and Tony. And Jordan Peele told him to play the part like Lloyd, the bartender from The Shining. Apparently, not realizing at the time that he is Jack Nicholson's freaking grandson. Like, that's fucking awesome. Uh, but yeah, as soon as she started walking off from her dad, I verbally said out loud, you stupid motherfucking dad. But like I said, I got this like really like this sense of dread just came over me. And I, I haven't felt that in a long time. I loved it. Uh, but yeah, a little nitpick. The Jeremiah 11 thing is is really cool if you look into it. Like Jeremiah's warning against the worshiping of false idols, which goes into a deeper meaning of the movie. And I really like that. But maybe have put that in words at the start when you're given uh, this tunnel thing or have the guy say it or something. Because, I mean, how many people are going to go research that after the movie? I mean, that's just it's something cool that I think should have been in the movie. And last thing, admittedly, it also took me a second when we flash forwarded to realize that that Lupita, who I don't have to say is amazing, right? I mean, we've already said that a million times. Like, that's kind of a given at this point. But it actually took me longer than I'd like to admit to figure out that she was the grown-up girl. Like, I thought she was the mom still. And Shahadi was playing Adelaide. Like, especially that shot Peel gave us of those family stickers. I thought, oh, whew, she didn't die. She still has a sticker. Anyway, <laughs> that's it on that. There's a lot more on this set of scenes, but I'll shut up now. Fantastic set. Yeah, I'll try not to take too long, but I love the cold open here. I love the 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 t- text and the the you know c- kind of the slower music that we get. I think it's great. Um, and like you said, Brian, it gives you a very uneasy feeling going in. And because you know, upon further rewatches, like we've already said, like the first time I watched it in the theater, I'm like, this is very different already <laughs> than the last movie we got. From Jordan, but now you know. I just think it's really good. And then we get you know this scene on the pier, which very eighties, right? Like Michael Jackson throw a t shirt. You've got you know Lost Boys references, all that stuff. And I think they do a great job of kind of setting that up. And it is very scary once she starts to walk off on her own. Um, you get that sense of dread. And I do, man. I think they shoot it so great. And that happens again later in the film. But this movie's use of the dark. I think is wonderful. Like they, God, I love the way it's shot. So I guess that's the cinematography. And I think it's really, really good. Um, I love the way they've used mirrors on like Oculus where it's the main character. It's just, you know, kind of supposed to show your reflection uh, and how, you know, that ends up working out with the tethered. And I think it's a good scene. I think, you know, whistling and then, and then whistling back and then how her reflection moves, but not quite like her. Like, I think that was a really, really cool shot. And I like all this family interaction here that we get, uh, you know, mom, dad, daughter, son, you know, very standard American family there. Um, I actually like the character Gabe. I know that may be, I, I feel like that's a hot take according to the internet. Uh, but okay. I think he adds some good comedic relief. He's very dad. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not sure what Brian's opinion on Gabe is, but I feel like he should like him quite a bit because <laughs> they kind of reminded me of each other. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, yeah, but I think all the family stuff is good, and we and we're already getting kind of off weird vibes from Lupita here, but we're also getting it from Evan Alex, who plays both boys, uh, and I do think that that he does a great job, kind of being very creepy. Uh, you know, the daughter kind of feels like a normal teenager, and then you've got this kid that's 
you know, he's got the mask, he's into magic tricks. Like there's something a little bit off about him. And I think that they kind of touch on that more as the film goes. Last thing, hashtag crawl daddy, baby. I'm going to change my Twitter name hashtag crawl daddy. Cause that's a fucking terrible name for a boat that you're not going to catch any crawfish with. But I thought this was a really good set of scenes to make me kind of gravitate towards the film already. So I love the era setting for the open. Uh, they do a great job at capturing the essence of the 80s here. I also love that between commercials, we see Addy in the reflection of the TV. Reflections and mirroring is a major theme in this movie, and they do it very subtly at times. So I think that's great. Russell has an interesting strategy for whack-a-mole. Man just banged the one hole over and over instead of trying to whack it where it popped up. And then he gets the Man Fucked Him Kids Award for the movie because he just let Addy wander off. What the hell is that about? Creepy as hell when uh, she's on the house in the house of mirrors and we hear the whistling that's not her and we see uh, she sees her doppelganger and then the score that follows the credits and title card is very eerie. Don't need the internet. We've got the outer net. That's one hundred percent Brian's brand of dad jokes. Like I instantly thought of Brian when he said that. Oh, perfect. I've got that. I've got that in my next set of scenes. <laughs> <laughs> so great, uh, great use of flashbacks here to see Addie's childhood after the weird encounter at the carnival. And a great job by Jason to guilt trip Addie into going to the beach. Hell yeah, my man. Gaslighter. Do it. Fucking Works right. Time. Let's go. <laughs> and another cool flashback moment when Addie sees herself in ballet outfit. Uh, it's a great job of establishing that there's something going on with her and that she's the central focus of the story. Overall, it's a very good set of opening scenes. The family is heading to the beach and Zora tenfold hats us with fluoride in the water government mind control talk. The parents she's snap right. on Jason. <laughs> Hey man, parents snap on Jason when he says anus and then turns it into laughter. They turn the radio on and jam to I Got Five on it, which is a great song. Gabe is excited to make it to Santa Cruz Beach and Adelaide is clearly uneasy about being there. Flashback to her in the backseat as a child hearing her parents argue. We see the man from the beach that night with the Jeremiah 11, 11 sign being taken away on a stretcher. Adelaide stares at the Vision Quest building and is uneasy. They join Kitty and Josh on the beach and talk about his new boat he got. Kitty tries to make small talk to no success. Kitty doesn't like her husband, saying she thinks about murdering him sometimes. Jason says he's going to the bathroom as Kitty says she thinks she could have been a movie star as Adelaide becomes overstimulated and hit by a frisbee. Jason sees a man in a red suit with green jacket standing awkwardly on the beach. Adelaide can't find Jason and becomes panicked. She runs to him and scolds him for not telling her he wandered off. Back at home and Gabe is mad Josh got a new car. Adelaide tells Zora goodnight, then sits with Jason. They talk about earlier and she kisses him goodnight. It's 11-11, bedtime. She grows concerned seeing Jason's drawing of himself looking at the man on the beach. Gabe gets in bed ready to make sexy time, but Adelaide says she wants to go. Being here feels like there's this black cloud hanging over her and she doesn't feel like herself. Gabe attempts to comfort her and she tells him the story of her wandering off. The girl was real. I ran as fast as I could. I felt like she is still coming after me. It feels like she's getting closer and closer. Gabe believes her, but is processing the information. He can't believe she kept this inside so long. He apologizes for the bad joke, and the power goes out suddenly. Jason tells him there's a family in the driveway. We see them standing in the shadows. Adelaide is horrified and calls 911. Gabe tries to calm everyone down and goes outside to address the strangers. All right, Brian, next set of scenes, what do you think? Yeah, like I mentioned uh, a little bit ago, I really wanted to address it in my last set of scenes, but I already ran them out too much. So I, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it here. Something Peel got absolutely 100% right in this movie was the family dynamic. 
Like I love this family. Most of all, Mike, you hit it right on the head. Winston Duke as Gabe had me dying. And Dustin, that line, you don't need the internet. You have the outer net. Bro, I loved that so much that I used it on my son almost immediately. Yeah, like, you did. Almost immediately. Uh, I, I knew I'm it. not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but the chemistry between these four men is amazing. And, and I can't say enough about how much I love watching this family just hang out. Like I, I loved that little line thrown in there about the fluoride and the water quote unquote conspiracy theory. I put that in quotations because, you know, more of those are coming true nowadays than not, but you don't get that in the first viewing, but you know, given the entire cloning and underground tunnel thing, like it's inclusion here was a nice little touch as well, especially on subsequent viewings. Uh, Maybe you can all kiss my anus. Another line that I cracked my ass up. I love it. I also fucking love the soundtrack. I got five on it. Came out when I was in sixth grade. Uh, Right when I was listening to, or right when listening to music was cool for me, you know, and I was getting into it with the with Black Street and No Diggity and Dre's Keep the Heads Ringing. Uh, anyway, this soundtrack's awesome. It made me and my sixth grade self smile many times throughout. Uh, but then we get the the tethered family showing up, and my tension was pretty damn high right here. But again, like it's kind of perfect that this scene by scene is broken up and ends right here because up to this point, I absolutely loved this movie. But that changes right at the next set of scenes for me. Yeah, you mentioned the family dynamic. I mean, absolutely. When you're watching this scene in the car, I think they nailed this. This feels like every other family road trip that I've been a part of. Uh, again, I grew up mom, dad, and one sister. And this is very representative of what that looks like. Somebody's talking shit. Somebody normally gets in trouble. Everybody laughs. And then we sing a terrible song or a good song together like they did. Sometimes it's a terrible song. Uh, you know, not to be whatever, but normally if you're white, it's a bad song. Like, I don't know, some song from 1958 that everybody still knows. That's typically what it is. But I really like this scene, man. I think the, I think that, um, Gabe is fucking hilarious. I think the kids are perfect here. Um, and the fact that, you know, Adelaide starts kind of snapping her fingers and getting everybody in to five on it together, I thought was really, you know, really good stuff. And, you know, like Brian mentioned, makes me really invest in the film already. They haven't spent a ton of time with this family, but already I, I, I'm interested in their fate. I want to know what's coming. Um, you know, they're at the beach. All the stuff at the beach is funny. And then, you know, there's some not so funny stuff in there. But I do think that it's important to kind of set up something that happens later in the house, which is one of my favorite scenes in the entire film. Um, but again, just you know, more, you know, kind of more exposition. We're learning more about Adelaide's character. And then we get back to the house here and we learn exactly, you know, this, we're peeking in on the first time she tells her husband about this story with the little girl at the pier, why she wants to leave the beach. I found that interesting. You know, this is, you know, not to be, not to, you know, harp on her too much here, but that, you know, you're just now sharing this information. I know it was traumatizing or whatever, but I feel like, I would have done this maybe before going to the beach. Just a, a thought. Um, but I still think it's a really good conversation. Like I said, great character work, laying the groundwork. And it does, you did end the scene by scenes at the perfect part here because this is one of the creepiest shots in the entire film to me. It's this family in the driveway. I think it's shot perfectly. The lighting's great. And you get a little bit of comedy from Gabe here that I think kind of helps it. So all in all, I think, man, really another really strong set of scenes. Kiss My Anus is hilarious. 
Uh, one thing about Jordan Peele, he knows how to write great dialogue and comedy in this one, just like all his movies. I got five on it, certified bangers, tip of the cap for that too. We get our first casualty, and it's the guy from earlier who was holding that Jeremiah eleven eleven sign. Uh, I think that's a really nice touch. I mean, that verse says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. It's a great choice for the theme of this movie. Like, great. And, Brian, you mentioned earlier how you wish that was explicitly stated. I I kind of liked that they didn't. Like, I didn't mind doing that homework. Like, I, just because I think if they explicitly said it or stated it or put it in the movie, I, I don't know. I think it would have taken it away from it a little bit. It would have been too much in your in my face for, for my liking. Uh, I was a little confused by the dynamic of Addie and Kitty because it seems like they've known each other for a long time. Yes. But this is the first time that Addie has ever said she hates small talk. Like That's odd to me. It seems like something that she would have known about Addie from years prior. Uh, it's very unnerving to see the man on the beach and his arms outstretched, and it's brilliant how that plays out. I love that. Drawn back to the Bible verse earlier, the clock is at 11.11, which also plays on the themes of mirroring and twins. So that's another great touch, subtle. Now, I want you all to go back and look at something here. When Gabe gets into bed, look how ridiculous it looks. That's a large man. And we're supposed to believe that he shares that bed with Addie. Be fucking for real. I've said it before, one of my biggest pet peeves in movies. I swear to God, the next time that we have a director uh, on our show as, a, as we're interviewing, I'm going to ask why they do that. It has to be a budget cut, but Jesus Christ, it can't be that much more expe- uh, expensive to get a normal sized bed. Well, I don't, I don't know, man. It's it's like these Burton Ernie beds. I think maybe just fit in the in the the screen. Like I don't know if it's a budget thing. Like I just I think it has something to do with the, making the room bigger. It could be, hey. but build a bigger fucking room. Hey, listen, if the show you can have that king size bed that everyone fucks in in season one, I think we're all right. Come on, get it together. Yeah. Or you know. <laughs> Back the camera up a little bit. If you want to show more stuff in the room, you want to show some art and decor and some nightstands, back up a little bit. Back, it just it drives me fucking crazy. Def- I would like to know the reason for that, so definitely ask a director next time we have one on. All right, you'll have to remind me because, you know, I'll, I'll forget. Um, I do love when Addie is talking to Gabe and telling him about the mirrors, like she's mirrored in the window. That's a great shot. So... Addie is telling Gabe she wants to leave and tells him the story, but they've been coming to this house for years now. Like this isn't their first time at this house. Why is it just now coming up? That's that's, that's one of my big issues with this movie. It's not a huge issue, but it's just like, it's a little too convenient. I almost wish that this was the first time they've come to this beach house. Like they just bought it and this is their first summer visiting. And when they meet Kitty and her husband, Maybe her, I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but maybe him and Gabe are coworkers or something. This is the first time that Addie and Kitty have hung out. Like that would make so much more sense to me than things happening the way they did. Uh, very creepy when the family's in the driveway. They do a great job of building suspense and not revealing too much. Like I love how all we see is shadows. So we don't know that it's them. So I think that is really well done. This is a very, very good set of scenes. That's not, I like you mentioned. I wish they would have. I wish it would have been just like a surprise. He's taking her there, you know, yeah. like because like it catches her off guard when like they want to go to the beach. So if it was just like a surprise visit, that'll work really good too. Because yeah. like they own the house, like I, you're absolutely. close to it anyway. So what the fuck's it matter? 
it would have made sense if he like surprised her with this because just like he surprised her with the boat, maybe he's like, Hey, the boat came with the house, you know, just, it wouldn't have been too far fetched for all of this to have been a surprise to her. Yeah. I'm with you. Trying to have a vacation. My family lost their goddamn minds. He asks if he can help them, but no answer. He tells me to get off his property, but nothing. He goes back inside down to call the cops. Now they're 14 minutes away. And he asks for the baseball bat. Gabe goes back outside with a baseball bat and says, we can get crazy and tells him cops are on their way. The intruding family splits up and heads toward the house. Zora goes to shut her window and she sees someone climbing the tree. She sees a masked boy outside and we hear someone whistle the itsy bitsy spider. One of the invaders gets the key from outside and unlocks the door. Gabe tries to fend them off, but the bat is taken from him and he's hit in the leg. Windows are broken and the others make their way inside. The invaders are their doppelgangers. Everyone takes a seat. Jason says, it's us. Red begins speaking of a girl with a shadow. The shadow hated the girl until one day the shadow realized she was being tested by God. Gabe asks what they want and offers money, his car, the boat. Abraham roars at him. Pluto handcuffs Adelaide to the table and Red threatens to cut Gabe with the scissors. Adelaide begs for them to not hurt her children. Gabe has his glasses taken by Abraham, who drags him off the couch and stabs his leg with the scissors. Abraham drags him at the house. Red tells Zora to run and has Umbre chase after her down the street. Red threatens Adelaide that Pluto has a temper. Abraham continues pursuing Gabe menacingly. She tells Jason to show him one of your tricks as the boys leave the room. Red laughs at Adelaide as Jason takes Pluto to the closet. Abraham knocks Gabe out with a punch. Jason and Pluto light matches in the closet, and Jason fails to ignite his lighter. They remove their mask, and we see Pluto's scarred face. Zora hides behind a neighbor's car, and Umbre appears on the other side. Umbre is on top of the car now, and the man yells at her to get off the car. Zora seizes the moment to run away, and Umbre stabs him to death with the scissors. Adelaide asks Red what she wants. Red grabs her hair and shoves her head into the table, saying, This is the day of the untethering. All right, Brian, it's the next set of scenes. What do you think? You know, the first time I watched this entire sequence, I thought, dude, this has gone way more than 15 minutes. Is the Haddonfield Police Department like what the fuck's going on? But obviously, once we find out it's gone prestige worldwide, that makes much more sense. And again, Duke killing that line, trying to have a vacation, but my family lost their goddamn minds, kills it. That That's it's not to the point in the movie at all where I think the comedy hurts it at all. I think it's perfect still. Because he's he doesn't feel like he's in danger yet, and this first encounter does get my blood pressure pumping. Uh, I do have to ask now, knowing the end, where the hell do all these fucking upside down tethered get all these scissors? Also, couldn't help but notice that no guns were featured in this entire movie, and one gun would have solved all of these problems if all they're armed with is scissors. Just throwing that out there. But then again, we would, or you know what I just thought about. They should have all had rocks, you know, rocks, crushed scissors. Anyway, anyway, sorry, sorry. Boo, 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 boo. Yeah, um, that fucking <laughs> sucked. <bro. laughs> uh, just throwing that out. That one, that one, that one probably looked better on paper. Oh, I liked it. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Uh, anyway, but then we wouldn't have had it if they all had guns. I mean, we wouldn't have had suspense in the movie unless you made them super strong. And that's another thing. Like I couldn't decide throughout if they were. Like there were some moments where I thought they seemed a little bit super strong, but I couldn't really tell. And it was harped home that they were the same as their counterparts. So I don't know. I guess not. Uh, but I did like Gabe getting uh, almost disabled right off the bat because of how big he was and how he would have fucking owned these folks with the bat. So I'm kind of glad they 
they handicapped him a little bit uh, with his knee or wherever he got hit in the leg. Um, and now, look, another huge issue that I had is that Red, after being stolen and having her life basically taken from her by the tethered Adelaide, when she first had her handcuffed to that table, I just can't wrap my head around Red's first words not being something like, you took my life from me. But this explanation as to like who the tethered are, that's great and all for us. But Adelaide already knows that. And Red knows that she knows that. So the point was obviously for the audience. And I just didn't care for that now that I've seen the movie. But anyway, also Pluto just tossed that match into the fireplace. Was there gas poured first? I don't know because it lit pretty damn quick. And I'm just saying I've never seen one do that. And uh, lastly, just a cool little anecdote here. Lupita based Red's voice on Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Sorry, every time I say Red, I think of Red Foreman from that 70s show. But specifically, the spasmodic dysphonia that uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. suffers from. Uh, that's what she based her voice on. So I've got more issues, but I'm going to go ahead and just touch on them later if y'all, if y'all don't get them here. Go ahead. Yeah, so I, I definitely like more about this set of scenes than I don't. Uh, now, there's a few minor nitpicks, but I love the introduction of this tethered family. I think they're creepy. Uh, I will say, I think that... Uh, I think that the girl is probably the creepiest to me, like facial expressions, the way her hair is, the way her eyes look. Very, very creepy. Uh, shout out to Lupita, whose voice with red here is phenomenal. Like it's a really creepy, scary thing. And whether it's supposed to be or not, like I know why, or we find out why at the very end of the movie, why her voice is like that. But I, at first it just looks like something creepy that maybe happens to all the tethered. Uh, which I found, you know, very scary, very, very creepy and interesting. And I do think like a lot of the, the, you know, what, what I would call the chasing of each other, I think is done really well. Again, I mentioned it in my opening set of scenes, but all the stuff shot in the dark in this film, I think really helps it, but makes it scarier, makes it creepier. Cause we get some stuff in the daytime that I don't think uh, works as well. And even the stuff, Underground in the tunnels with the lights. I don't think it works as well as shooting it in the dark. And, and for some reason, that adds a lot to it for me. Um, you know, I do think the two, you know, the the two boys in the closet. Uh, but I do think those two mirroring each other is interesting and very telling, foreshadowing for later. So I did like how they set that up about how, you know, he's falling his hand and the, you know, the lighter and all that stuff. I think it was a really good job. Um and I actually really like Adelaide and Red and their back and forth here on this table. I think it works um, very creepy. But you're right, Brian. We get no real speech or anything from Red. Like, you took my whole life from me. Like, you fucking ruined everything. Like, I've been eating rabbits underground for the last 30 years or whatever. No acknowledgement of that early on. And I know they were trying to set up that twist, but I feel like just natural, you know, especially because she lived what nine, 10 years above the surface. Like she should know, you know, well enough, like, Hey, you know what I know. I know who you are. You know who I am. Like I'm, I want to expose you to your whole family. Like that would have been the first thing I did was expose Adelaide to her whole family. And that doesn't happen, uh, which I found a little odd. So just a small nitpick there. It doesn't ruin everything for me, but I do think it is a an error in how I would have done it. 
Yeah, so when he asked them if he could help them and they just stand there silently, yeah, I'd go back inside. Fuck that. When Gabe does go back inside, that was hilarious. You could hear in his voice, he got a little bit more bass in it and he's acting hard, Pauls. It was great. Really wish he could have said nuts instead of crazy, though. Shout out to Batman89. I know Brian agrees when he says, you want to get crazy, we can get crazy. (sighs) Missed opportunity. Then we hear the whistling. And it's the same whistling that we hear as a kid when Addie went into the Hall of Mirrors. Yeah, now I'd definitely be freaked out. Gabe getting kneecapped with his own bat is disappointing. Come on, man. Got to do better. Got to do better. When we see the other family and they look just like our protagonist, that's an oh shit moment. I mean, we saw Addie's doppelganger earlier in the movie, but now there's four. It's a great revelation. Uh, Then Red starts speaking. First watch, it's confusing and annoying that her voice sounds like that to me, honestly. Uh, but they do a great job of explaining it later, and it's incredible. Gabe went out sad. I mean, sad. Just got manhandled and drug out and didn't even put up a fight. Just yelled and screamed like a bitch. Be a man. Great shots of tears streaming down Addie's cheeks here. Very reminiscent of Daniel Kaluuya and Get Out. Zora definitely not making the Olympics, though. She had like a 300-yard head start on Umbre, and she still caught up to her. Pick a new dream, folks. It's over. I love the cat and mouse game between the two, though, at the car. That was awesome. Great reflective shot of Addy and Red and the glass on the table. Again, going back to that theme from earlier. To me, this is the best set of scenes so far. It's very tense throughout. Abraham is driving the boat, and Gabe rips open an eye hole as the motor craps out. Abe starts molly whopping the motor and shrieks at others. Gabe Barry bonds him with the bat until the motor fires up on its own, and he falls in. That's the second review in a row I've said Barry bonds somebody. Hell yeah. Abraham almost grabs him until the boat drives off, dragging him away with his tangled foot. Jason frightens Pluto with a lighter and escapes out the closet, trapping Pluto in there. Red goes to check on the ruckus as Adelaide tries to get free. Pluto is let out the closet. Red finds a stuffed rabbit and cuts its head off. Gabe swims towards the boat as Adelaide desperately reaches for a fire poker. She breaks a wooden board as Abraham grabs a hold of Gabe. Gabe smacks the motor, cranking it up. The propeller cuts Abraham's lower torso to shreds. Adelaide finds Jason, and the two run to the car, but no keys. Zora joins them, and they run to Gabe in the boat. They load up and cruise away from Red and Pluto. Power surges at Josh and Kitty's, and Kitty says she heard someone walking around outside and asks him to check it out. She demands he check, and he has the lights turn on. He says he's serious, something is out there. Then he jokes it's O.J. Simpson. He has Ophelia turn the Beach Boys on. Their girls ask, what's going on? Suddenly, their tethered version appear and stab them, killing them. Kitty is the only survivor and reaches out for help, but gets swerved. She asks Ophelia to call the police, but it plays fuck the police instead. She has her throat slit as Adelaide knocks on their door. She quickly realizes something's wrong and slams a fire poker into his head. Gabe has the kids run as he's pursued by Tex. The kids go in the home and see the dead parents. They hear noises from upstairs and they grab a weapon. Zora hits a tethered sister in the face with a golf club and she falls over the ledge onto a table. She bludgeons the other sister of death with the golf club. Dahlia is plying makeup to herself playfully as we see Adelaide handcuffed to the bed. Dahlia doesn't kill her and cuts her own face with the scissors. Tex follows Gabe onto the boat and Gabe distracts him with a flare. The two fight as Dahlia cries and laughs watching it from above. Zora takes too long to hit Dahlia and she's pinned to the bed until Jason hits her in the head with the rock decoration. All right, Brian, so next set of scenes, what'd you think? Uh... The whole Gabe and the boat thing, eh. The music cues, you know, him falling out of the boat. 
Abraham getting pulled away just before he got Gabe. Like it, it, it just all seemed played more for laughs than horror. And that's not really what I personally wanted there. Uh, I did appreciate the setup with the boat leaning left, which obviously allowed this to happen here where it circled back around at him. But I don't know. It, it seemed more for gags and horror. And like I said, I could have done without it. Um, there was just no suspense here for me. Uh, also, I kind of still don't get the Pluto and Jason thing. Like, why does Jason have control over Pluto with him mimicking everything he does, but nobody else's counterpart does? Like, which, I mean, that in itself is kind of confusing because it clearly shows. Oh, no, you're good. I was just going to say, it's not said in the movie, so you are 100% right. But Jordan Peele did explain it eventually that those two are more linked than any of the other two. Don't know. I don't remember exactly why he said they are, but he did say it in the commentary on the DVD. So that in itself is kind of confusing because it it shows the tethered in the hallways, like doing what their counterparts were doing. But why is that only? So why is that only sometimes? I mean, I guess he, is there an explanation for that? I don't know because otherwise, what happens when when one like you know ups and leaves town? I mean, does does the tethered one go too just underground? I don't know. I mean, I realize that that wasn't the case with Red Foreman and, and Adelaide, but obviously that makes sense because of the role reversal there. I just, I almost kind of wish that that wasn't in the movie at all. Like just have them be a society of ill fortuned, you know, left to fend for themselves instead of being tethered to their living counterparts like that. It just, it almost would have made more sense for me anyway. Um, anyway, I, I really, I did. I, I really did like the scene at Tyler's like aside for the first ones, this one really felt horror. And, you know, we spent enough time with these people at the beach that they weren't just fodder up to the, you know, to, to bring up the body count. Like I really did love this part. This family definitely gets across what Peel was trying to say. I think with the Jeremiah eleven eleven thing, because it really feels like that they worship their things, you know, their booze, their technology, their idols. And, you know, the fuck the police thing was hilarious. Um, and so it's just, again, the cuts here, by Peel are mesmerizing. That's all I have for the set of things. Yeah, I, I'm with you on the boat. And I, I'll be honest, I don't love the decision to kill Abraham this early. Uh, I thought, it, again, we're an hour in, so early is relative. It's a two-hour film. So halfway through, we're already kind of killing off what I think is one of the main villains. I thought it was a little early for me. Uh, and the scene isn't my favorite. It's a cool-looking kill. Don't get me wrong. So no big complaints. I just... I don't know. I'm with you. It, it took a little bit of, uh, it took a little bit of levity out of it for me. I love everything inside the house. I think I already touched on it. I think that's really good old school horror shit. Like it feels like a home invasion mixed with slasher. Uh, I think they do a great job with these characters tethered counterparts. Like I think they're very creepy, played very well. I think everything with tight or I was calling Tiger, Tyler and Kitty is really good. Um, and I think even though, you know, like you mentioned, they, they're very materialistic people. So while we spend a lot of time with them at the beach, they're not our favorite people, or at least they certainly weren't my favorite people. So while I don't think they're fodder, I do think their, their deaths here hold just enough weight where like, yeah, we know these characters, oh shit, this shit's getting serious. Uh, you know, that, that, but, but also it's not so much of consequence where I'm upset about it. I'm sad about it. Um, I think the, you know, the two girls and their, you know, those counterparts that kill, you mentioned Jordan Peele's cuts, Brian, when he cuts outside of the house for that kill. And it's, you know, it sounds like it's 
from far away. That's fucking awesome, man. It is so good. And the throat, the uh, throat slit one as well, I think, you know, perfect cut, really good. Fuck the police. What's I've seen people complain about that it takes away from a serious kill. I, I just don't agree with that. Like, I think it works really, really well, especially because something else that Brian mentioned, this family's so reliant on their technology and their things. It failed them in this moment, <laughs> you know, where she tried to call the police on it and instead says, fuck the police. Like it was, I thought it was a really nice touch personally. And I, you know, I do think a lot of the chase stuff with Jason and, you know, and Ombre and everybody else, like, I think it's good. It's a little long, but I think it's good. Uh, and I, you know, I wasn't a big fan of the kill, so to speak on Dahlia. Anyway, I would have rather had that be different, but no, I mean, all in all, I love most, of everything inside this house. I think it's the, the most horror thing we get in the film. Good on Gabe for finally fighting back here. Uh, it was funny when Abraham got pulled off by the rope and the boat and Gabe didn't even know it. And he didn't know he was close to getting got. That was a great shot. Addie was uh, in there struggling with the handcuffs. But to me, the logical thing to do here is to flip the table and stomp the leg and break it off. Like, unless that's the sturdiest table ever made, that would have been pretty easy to do. I don't understand why she did do that. Uh, Josh is such an asshole. He and Kitty have such a healthy relationship. That's good to see. I, I actually I laughed at their dynamic there. Uh, when their cubs, cubs, when their kids are stabbed, I love how that was shot. We panned outside in the house and uh, it's silent. That was fantastic. I, I like that a lot. And then Tex is such an asshole when he reaches for Kitty to help her and then pulls his hand back. Jordan Peele's writing of the characters is so good to me. Also, I love the whole call the police, fuck the police mix up. I don't understand why anyone would hate that. I thought it was hilarious. It made me chuckle. Uh, I get Jason being scared. So he puts his mask on, but kid, you're going to need more logic. You need your uh, peripheral vision in this situation. That's, that's not smart. Very tense. When Dahlia gets in Addie's face with the scissors and the score is just perfect for that scene. Uh, another, another great comedic moment when Gabe tries to shoot Tex with the flare gun and misses. Like that was fucking hilarious. Perfect time to break uh t- to break up the tension in this set of scenes. Overall, it's a great set of scenes to me. The action and pacing are great, and we progress the story nicely. Are we just gonna gloss over the fact that the name of that boat was Biatch? <laughs> uh. Did you see that shit was awesome? I was like, oh, that's fucking great. Yeah, that's 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 all you, brother. <laughs> yes, we are glossing over it, goddamn. <laughs> All right, Gabe joins him saying the boats are done. They call the police, but all operators are busy. They watch the news and see it's going on all over the city. A witness speaks on her ordeal, saying they're coming from the sewers. Reporters say they're all wearing red with scissors. We see a live shot of the tethered hand-in-hand across the streets. Adelaide says they need to leave and go to Mexico. Gabe says we have everything we need here. They think like us. They know where we are. Gabe wants to home alone the house. Adelaide says this has been planned and he isn't making decisions anymore. Gabe nods in approval, taking Josh's cool car. Adelaide realizes the tethered sister from the table is missing. She runs to the key fob and hits the girl with a cast iron skillet. She pounces on Adelaide, but she grabs a pair of the scissors, killing her. Jason walking in as it happens. Zora says she's driving while Gabe flexes the highest kill count. We see Umbre at the end of the driveway and Zora smashes the gas pedal. Umbre Ninja walks on top of the car and stabs into the sunroof. Zora hits the gas again, turning on the wipers to distract her. She hits the brakes again, launching her from the windshield. Adelaide leaves the car and finds Umbre dying in the trees. She gets back in the car and is driving now. 
They make it into town and we see all the dead bodies in the streets and in cars. Adelaide stops seeing their car on fire in the middle of the road. She backs up and exits the car seeing Pluto in the road. She reaches out to him and he reveals his burnt face. Jason says it's a trap and to get out. Pluto reveals the match, but Jason begins walking backwards and Pluto backs into the fire. Red abducts Jason as the family yells out for him. Adelaide is on the beach and we see long lines of tethered people holding hands. She goes back into the hall of mirrors, which haunted her childhood. She opens the door and a rabbit escapes. She goes down several sets of steps until she's in a giant hallway with rabbits roaming. Gabe and Zora find an ambulance and she sees the line of tethered people. Adelaide finds Red in a classroom at the chalkboard, drawing a line of tethered people. Red gives her a speech on humans that built this place, who made copies of people's bodies, but not their souls. They failed and abandoned the tethered. All right, Brian, we stick on that set of scenes. The next set is the ending. Yeah, kind of going back to the last set of scenes, like I understand why Red would toy or at least not immediately kill Adelaide, but why would Dahlia not immediately kill her? Like it's showing everyone else all over the world, at least it's we're assuming that they're immediately killing people. Why did she stop and then start cutting her face instead of killing her? It just it didn't seem consistent with what we were getting everywhere else. Yeah, so I don't know that it's ever explicitly stated, but apparently the tether can only kill their above ground version of themselves. Like well, if you that's know, not true. You, but well, the girl, the little, the little daughter jumped up on the uh, on the car and then killed the neighbor whenever he walked out. Like that was oh, shown on point. screen. That's a good point. I did. I read that somewhere um, that that was that was the thinking or that was the logic, but that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. And Josh and know. Kitty's kids attacked uh, Umbre and, or Zora and Jason. Zora. Yeah. Umbre well, they is attacked, there. but did, but didn't kill. But and then going. even when I figured they would, they would have though. Yeah. Well, even when Jason, you know, Molly Wops the, uh, the girl with the statue there, we don't know that she's actually dead. Well, they never mind the above. Well, I mean, Adelaide, kill the kill, said Adelaide kills one of the, you know, one of the tethered sisters. Yeah, so they can kill the True. tethered, but uh, but she's also tethered. Just, so <laughs> this is, yeah, the, the yeah. tethered can be killed by anyone, but the, I mean that logic's already debunked because, like Brian said, yeah. So never mind. I guess disregard. Um. Anyway, when they're watching TV and we see that it's nationwide, not the insurance. But again, you have to do, you have to suspend your disbelief there because I mean, look. I'm sorry to keep harping on it, but as many guns are as there are in the U.S., these tethered folks would be mowed down with haste. I mean, you've definitely got to suspend disbelief there uh, because this whole this whole hold hands thing is is nationwide, right? Not just California where they don't like guns. But I love the Home Alone reference that got a chuckle out of me. But like I said at the start, the arguing over the kill count. I mean, that's some horror comedy zombie land type stuff, and. I guess that I just I wasn't expecting that from this movie. But while I've given credit where credit's due to Jordan Peele, I want to also shout out Mike Gulikis, the director of photography for the movie. He's done It Follows and Old as well as a ton of music videos. And still, Mike Gulikis is somehow the second richest Mike on this podcast tonight. <laughs> the sunburn wasn't even worth it, pal. Uh, no. Okay. So, look, I do think this set of scenes runs a little long for me. It's not that I don't like it or find it enjoyable, but I feel like we're kind of at the point where I'm ready to get to what everything that's going on here. 
So everything with Zora and Ombre and all that, like I do think Ombre is still the scariest tethered person. Like she, the, she did a great job being so fu- fucking freaky, man. Like I think she's the scariest one. She's fast. She can jump every fucking where. Like I, I really enjoy the character. Um, but yeah, I mean, arguing over the kill count, Brian, I do think is maybe it doesn't work in the movie because the movie hasn't been any of that up to this point, but it feels almost meta in that moment. Like they almost know they're in a horror film a little bit, or they're in like a horrible situation that requires, Hey, we're fucking killing people. Uh, how many did you kill? I mean, like, I feel like there's a little bit of meta writing from Jordan Peele. And, and honestly, when this movie's made and maybe I'm overreaching here, but kill counts like as in, Demi James's kill count videos were starting to get popular around the time of this film. Uh, very, very popular. So it, it, it's in the vernacular. It's in the pop culture consciousness, which I know that's a term everyone really fucking loves. But anyway, uh, I, I understand what you're saying. It didn't you know, bother me because I love that kind of shit, but I completely understand. Um, I will say, I wish they had kept this whole scene with, you know, with, Jason and his tethered here in the, you know, at least at like the sunrise, you know, it's pretty damn light outside already. Like I didn't, I just didn't love that. Um, and they at least set it up earlier by them being more tethered to each other than the others. So I think it's a cool kill. It's a, they set it up the whole movie and I think it was pretty well done. Um, last thing here, all this, for lack of a better term, exposition dump from Red and why the Tethered are the way they are and how they got abandoned and all of this stuff, I feel just takes way too long, like I'm taking right now. <laughs> but I feel like uh, we didn't really need it all. You know, like We got enough of an explanation where like everything is making enough sense where I don't need this eight-minute diatribe, just me personally. Um, I understand what, you know, what they're trying to hit at, but it just kind of didn't land for me and took a little too long again like i'm doing now go ahead dustin love looney's playing again here i'm a big fan of a particular song becoming a theme in a movie and when it comes up again later like it's just perfect and in a film full of kids being in danger the biggest parenting fail of the movie is zora not knowing what home alone is unreal the fuck is that a big oh shit moment when one of the feral daughters comes back to life and attacks addy that was a great way to crank the tension back up Zora trying to drive is very typical teenage, typical teenage behavior. I do love that she referenced kill counts here. Like shout out dead meat James. I, I liked it. I don't care that it was too on the nose or too, uh, too ha ha and didn't fit. No, it worked for me. I love Gabe being a captain obvious here. She stabbed through the sunroof and he says, she's right there. You think I, that, like Gabe, Gabe is Brian Hathaway. Like he says, it's, it's Brian. And I, I love it. Great <laughs> shots of carnage as Addie's driving into town. Uh, it's a little confusing how Pluto got there, though. Like, he's on foot. They're driving. And they arrive at the same time, or he even beats them there. I'll allow it, though. Like, I won't look too much into that. Great shot when Red stands up in the background beside Jason. Like, the colors blend perfectly with the vehicle parked there. And so yes. I thought that was awesome. Awesome. Uh, we see the line of people holding hands at the beach, and holy shit, that's a lot. 
And I love the callback with the guy from earlier who was just solo on the beach. Now he's got people joined him. That's really awesome stuff. It shows that they have a purpose. He was just the first to complete his mission, and so he's waiting for the rest. I thought that was awesome. Addie going into the place where it all started had to be traumatic for her. Uh, We're starting to get into my questions of the movie here, though, but most of them are in the next set of scenes. But this tunnel has been here all this time and just now become noticed or found by someone, and it's just now a problem. All those alternate characters were down there the whole time, and they just now started to surface. Like, how? Why? And as far down as she went, Addie either found hell or ended up in China. Like, that's a deep hole in the ground. What the hell is going on there? Uh, I like that we see the rabbit room from the opening credits here. Makes that matter and not just be something that was there for optics in the opening credits. So I thought that was good. This is a really good set of scenes to me, and it sets us up to go home. Hey, really quick. Maybe I'm the only one that feels this way, but I didn't like the look of the tunnels. Like, for whatever reason, it looked like an old, like an old school for some reason. Like, the whole thing looked like an old school with a bunch of classrooms. And for whatever reason, it just looked like a very sterile, not scary environment to me. That that, that was just a personal preference of mine. So... I get, I get why they look like an old school or whatever when we find out that it was an experiment they were conducting. But, sure. But they've been abandoned for years. So my issues to your, your comment there would be, why does this place still have power run to it? Like, why wouldn't they just Excellent cut all the point. lights and, and leave them down Excellent there? Point. And it's not dirty. Like, yeah, it doesn't look scary. It, it looks like some, like they hired a janitor to go down there and clean every so often. Like, I didn't like that. And if they've been down there eating all these rabbits, where the, where's the blood? Where's the bones of these rabbits they've been eating? I get what you're saying. Where are they using the bathroom at? Heather, don't shit, brother. <laughs> Where they give birth to kids? They got no buttholes. They don't shit. Hey, Heather, don't shit is a great t-shirt, Brian. Fuck it up. Let's go. <laughs> all right, guys. Here's the ending. Flashback to Pops playing the carnival game, and we see their tethered version imitating them from below. God brought us together that night. After her dance, the tether knew she was different and would lead them out of here. Red cuts the paper tethered from each other and begins dancing in the classroom. The two fight now, Red stabbing her hand with the scissors. Red is whooping ass and exits the room. Adelaide pursues and sees her sitting. Round two commences, but Red is shifty as hell. She stabs Adelaide in the core, hobbling her. Adelaide uses her spidey sense and stabs the fire poker through Red. Red begins whistling until Adelaide wraps the cuffs around her neck snapping it. Adelaide begins chuckling and frees herself from the cuffs. She gets Jason free from a locker, confirming it's her. Everything is going to be like it was before as they press hands together. They join Gabe and Zora in the ambulance and drive away. Flashback to the to the meeting with the doctor, and it's revealed that Adelaide was attacked by Red in the mirror house. She was dragged below amongst the tether and their bodies swapped. Her throat was damaged and she couldn't speak. The clone version left her below and joined her parents. Adelaide and Jason share an awkward stare and she smiles at him. He pulls his mask down and we see overhead shots of them driving away and a long line of tethered people across the countryside. The film ends with shots of the country and helicopters flying above. Brian, what would you think about the ending? Oh, it was it was just okay. It was more confusing and disappointing at first than anything as far as I was concerned. But, I mean, kind of going back to Jeremiah eleven eleven, you know, Dustin quoted the exact passage the whole book of Jeremiah basically warns against worshiping false idols and warns that with retribution, you'll be forsaken and God won't come to your aid. You know, basically the main theme of Jeremiah is pending judgment. 
And, you know, it's definitely true that the message of the movie is, is up for interpretation, but I believe it's a good message, you know, while hinting at uh, humanity's impending judgment because of our serving false idols and, you know, such as technology and ourselves, et cetera, et cetera. Like, it's also a statement against judging others who are different than us. And instead, it should be ourselves we take a good hard look at. You know, sequel wise, Dustin's going to love this. I mean, there's a lot of left on the bone here, pause. Like we have a lot of those underground tunnels still here. Apparently a shitload of tethered if they can hold hands from coast to fucking coast. And, you know, all the questions I mean I mentioned earlier, we never found out the answers to. Now, I mean, let me let me preface this by saying I don't want to see a sequel. <laughs> but I'm just saying that there's definitely a lot of unexplored in this one that you could do if people really wanted to. But I mean, that's all I really had on the ending. I mean, it was so so to me. I feel like you could do maybe it's not so much a sequel. Well, I guess it has no choice but to be a sequel if you do this. But a movie within that tethered universe, I think, would be interesting. However, my stance on prequels are generally answering questions I wasn't asking. So don't listen to me, Jordan Peele. Keep making very original content. Um, yeah, I like the ending. Like I do. Th- like I really love the fight or whatever with red and Adelaide. Like, I think it's shot really well The you know, like I mentioned the fucking string version of five on it is incredible. I love it. I love their back and forth. And you really do see, and you know, not upon the first watch, but as you continue to watch this film, how calm red is the entire fight and how crazy Adelaide is the entire fight. And, and you know, they're kind of setting you up there, letting you, you know, as you watch it now, that makes sense because we know the ending. The ending, she switched. (laughs) You know, she choked the real Adelaide and drug her down, you know, to the the depths of hell there, as Dustin mentioned, (laughs) or, you know, China, wherever, (laughs) and, uh, and switched. And, you know, evil, too, like made her, like, handcuffed her to the bed, woke her up, or waited till she woke up, put her clothes on, and made her watch her walk out. That is some evil shit. So we we know now that this Adelaide is just pretty fucking evil as it has been trying to suppress it. Uh, so I did like the twist. I think the twist works, even though, like I mentioned earlier in the film, they could have, like I, you know you can't really ignore the fact that why didn't uh, the real Adelaide say something (laughs) about it to her family already? Like, I feel like that's something I would have, you know, sold her out on very early, but that's just me. Uh, Look, and I do think it's a good death with the fire poker. uh, And I like one. I think it's funny. It's like they get out in an ambulance, of course, that's funny. But two, the look that her and Jason give at each other is interesting. There's all kinds of things online about how, He's a tethered too, and I just don't. I don't buy that personally. Like, if if he is, then they didn't set that up very well, in my opinion. He just knows there's something off about his mom because he's scared of her when she opens a locker. Like he's seen her do some horrible shit now, multiple times. So I just think that's all that is. Like, hmm, maybe you're not exactly who you say you are. But I, I can't really do anything about that. So all in all, sorry, Nico, you go ahead after this. I thought the ending was was really solid. Like I thought it was a good explanation, and I liked the twist quite a bit. 
No, before you go, Dustin, I was just going to say that there is a fan theory that Jason is well, uh, is the tethered version, but Jordan Peele himself said that if that's not the case. Like he explained the entire family out, and he said Jason was just like more in tune with uh, like yeah. with uh, his mom and all that. That's all, or Ab- or Adelaide, excuse me. All right. So first of all, before I get into this last set of scenes, I don't know why, but Nico, when you said that God brought us together that night. In my mind, I immediately went to to Pam saying, I feel God in this Chili's from the office. Like, <laughs> that just that popped into my head. I don't but, get the uh, reference. She is still banned yeah. from the Chili's. We know, Nick. <laughs> yeah. Our second spinoff is coming. Nico's never seen it. And it's just him watching a bunch of classic shit he's missed. I, but. I don't have time. I can't do three pods. I'm already, I'm saying no already. <laughs> you make a lot of money on that one, Nico. I think. Uh, so we get the explanation here. They're basically clones. Like that makes a lot of sense to me, but one of my biggest questions of the whole movie, how did objects appear like the thriller shirt? How did things spawn without having to be made? Like that doesn't, that part doesn't make sense to me. I get the movements and stuff like what happens above. They mimic below like the mimicking the riding of the roller coaster because they're tethered, but the object spawning is a little bit too much for me to accept. They're essentially in a lab. But anyway, we see the hold hands across America shirt and that makes the line across or line make sense and why they're all dressed in red. Like, that's great. But again, where'd they get these red jumpsuits, red jumpsuit apparatus? I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. Then here's what I mentioned earlier. Uh, I got five on it comes back into the mix with an incredible orchestra acapella or uh, instrumental version. I love it. And I love the cuts of the ballet dance intertwined with it. Like, that's great editing. That's an incredible scene. The final showdown between Addy and Red is incredible. We get great choreography and cinematography there. It's just elite work. In the ambulance later, we get one final oh shit moment. Addy has these flashbacks, and we see that she's actually the tethered one. She pulled the old switcheroo with the real Addy. That's a great twist. And we see that she strangled Addy, which explains why Red's voice was so raspy. It also explains why Red was different from the other tethered and able to devise this plan. I thought Who's that was great. Oh, boy. Then uh, we get a great shot of Jason looking at his mom like he knows something's up. And he puts his mask on because he's scared. Like, that's what he does when he's scared. So I think that's very well done. Uh, we close with an awesome shot of the line of tethered holding hands across the country. And it's just incredible. I know Brian probably hated looking at the mountains and trees, but I loved it. I thought that was a great shot. <laughs> to me, <laughs> to me, it's just it's a it's a very solid ending to a very solid movie. I didn't have... Like I said, the more I watch it, the less questions I have, and the more I can appreciate the movie. What do you right. hate more, nature shots or A24? There's yes. a few that use both, so that's yes. tough. that's a tough day for you. <laughs> yeah, we need we need an A24 movie that just like follows a guy hiking. Like I got it, I got it. An A24 film about Stanley Kubrick's life. Let's go. Yeah, as long as Kubrick doesn't qu- make it. Be all right. Oh, they're going to well, make it just like a Kubrick film, pal. Yeah, shot in in the style of Stanley Kubrick. Fun facts now, please. Yeah, social media. Let's do Twitter <laughs> X first. Randy Smith commented, I didn't love it as much as Get Out, but I didn't hate the movie either. Pretty cool premise. I agree with you, Randy. We'll jump over to IG now, Instagrams. Making X2 commented, I like us, but I find Jordan Peele's work is rather pretentious, especially with Nope. What do you think of Jordan Peele as a director? I don't think he's pretentious. I just think he has his style and the way he does things. And, and, uh, yeah, I think 
I think he's brilliant as well. I just don't love everything he does, if that makes sense. Well, I, I appreciate the fact that at least he does unique stuff, you know, and, and yeah. that, that is, I do appreciate that. It's just, you know, it's not for everybody, which no movie is. So I, I don't really agree that it's pretentious, though. I love Jordan Peele. I think that yeah. he's one of the brightest minds going. Um, I I like I like his movies actually in the order they were released. Now, yeah, when too. I first when I first saw Nope, I went to see it in the theater. I didn't love Nope, and I liked it more than Us though. But since I watched Nope, I've watched this movie a few times, and I like Us. Uh, I like Us a lot more. So I actually like them. Get Out, then Us, then Nope. But I think they're all very solid movies. So maybe I'm the wrong person to ask that question because I'm not going to side with you. Jordan Peele's awesome. I will say this. I like a lot of the writing in all three of those movies because there is subtext. There's something a little deeper there. But I don't necessarily think it like smashes you in the face with like this movie's trying to say something else. Like I think it's very it's it's hidden in plain sight. Like I don't think there, it's so deep. I need to write a whole essay about it like you know what this movie is about by watching it, in my opinion. Yeah. And it, but the, all three also work as just a simple story too. So there's, I really liked a lot of Jordan Peele's writing and I think he's a really good director. So yeah, and, I'm a big fan, but I, yeah. And to go with what you said there, see, that was my problem with Nope. I feel like Nope was too subliminal. Like there, there was so much deeper shit that wasn't really sure. explained that he was trying, you know, too many hidden messages that I just, they just, to be honest with you, they kind of went over my head and I still, have questions about nope a couple sure. years later all right we'll do facebook now and that's it michelle Murs, a big fan of the show commented i just watched this one for the first time not too long ago i love his movies they always keep me interested and there's always a message that is true christina tower commented hey guys i'm very excited you guys are reviewing this movie i watched this movie a few years after it came out and was interested in it because of how much i enjoyed get out and nope the acting was phenomenal and the story was definitely something different it is one of those movies that can stay with you for a while, even after you watch it. I made the mistake of watching this movie at night and not being able to sleep at night. The story was disturbing and would fit right in as a Twilight Zone story. Peel has established himself as an incredible filmmaker. His ability to tell an interesting story with compelling characters, but also have something to say has me looking forward to what he does next. Stay safe. Appreciate that. Uh, appreciate the long comment. Uh, I, I like that. Like, Tell us how you feel. I, I, I like hearing how our fans think about movies we're reviewing. And the last comment we have is from Meg Stone. Love this movie. It is my favorite of Jordan Peele's movies. The visuals are beautiful, surreal almost, and just uncomfortable in the best way. His storytelling is incredible. I appreciate that comment. Y'all got any fun facts? Dustin, Brian, y'all want to kick us? Dustin, you got any fun facts? I got a couple. Um, I don't think that these were said. I was trying to pay attention in here, but I don't think these were said. So Jordan Peele gave the cast 11 horror films to watch so they would have a, quote, shared language when filming. So the movies were Jaws, Dead Again, The Shining, The Babadook, It Follows, A Tale of Two Sisters, The Birds, Funny Games, Martyrs, Let the Right One In, and The Sixth Sense. So that's pretty cool. Babadook's uh, a good movie. La- I need to rewatch it, man, because like I said in our text, I've been aligning with you a lot more lately on uh, Elevated Horror, so... I need to Uh-oh. go back, brother. We may be in that one together. I don't know. Hey-o. Last Hey-o. one. Uh, last one I got is during this one. This one kills me. During filming of the Santa Cruz of Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk, the rides were all filmed with dummies. Then CGI was used to create moving people. To me, 
it seems like it would be a hell of a lot cheaper to hire extras for a little while to ride those rides than to pay a, a company to do CGI after the fact. Like, I'm sure a lot of people would even do it for free. Just be like, hey, look, that's me in the background. I'm on that ride. Like, you yeah. can pay extras peanuts. So I don't know. That was a crazy choice to me. <laughs> this movie was made for a cool $20 million and... In the United States and Canada, gross 175.1 million and 80.1 million in other territories for a worldwide total of 255.2 million against, like I said, a budget of $20 million. So, hey, the Jordan Peele movies keep crushing it. Probably going to keep giving them, going to keep greenlighting those scripts. So, that's, man, 20 million. I thought it would be a little bit higher than that. I'm not going to lie. Like, it felt like a much bigger budgeted film than get out did well a lot of the movies either in a house or just on a beach there so i mean it's not like sure. they're doing too much at, but i'm with you i mean there's a lot of people holding hands and no nah, i feel you uh let's jump into our favorite kill least favorite kill in the rating i'll, I'll just go first favorite kill i kind of struggle with this because one of my biggest qualms is i don't like the kills I, you got a rated you got a rated r movie and i felt like they were kind of neutered considering what was going on but my favorite kill i'll go with uh, Josh and Kitty's two girls getting stabbed up top just because it caught me off guard the first time I watched it. I really like the the tethered twins appearing and killing them. Least favorite kill I could pick from several of them, honestly. I didn't like Kitty's kill. I, I mean, I, I guess I'm the only one he didn't, but I hated the swerve. Like when he hit the the hand, I hated that. Like it was a, it was a really dark tent scene. I wanted oh, you to just man. kill her. Uh, I didn't like, like a- I didn't like Abraham's kill. Like I felt like he should have died with a baseball bat and then getting drugged in the water. I feel like he should have drowned. I didn't like uh, real Adelaide's death. You spent your whole life preparing for this, and you charge her and get stabbed once. Didn't like that kill either. And I Almost didn't like Pluto's. Big. And I didn't. Yeah, it was too big. She pissed down her leg. <laughs> and I didn't like Pluto's kill because, like, I didn't. I didn't, one of my qualms in this movie is the tether doing what the original is doing too conveniently. Like they've been chasing each other, doing all this shit all, all night of being pursued. Right. But now Pluto or now, you know, Jason has the power to back up and Pluto follows him into the fire. A little too convenient for me personally, but I'll repeat some of my positives. It looks great. The acting is great. Lupita, she kills it. All of the actors who have doubles, they kill it. They do great. There are some funny moments that I appreciate. The score is great, five on it. It's perfectly used. But just like there's too many moments of comedy that I just didn't like that was just out of place. I felt like the dad should have been the man of the house more often. Like I feel like he got bossed around by his wife a little too much. Uh, Like I mentioned, Jason and Pluto, I didn't like how convenient the tethered could take advantage of their original. I didn't like how we mentioned earlier how some would just go and kill the, their people immediately, but then they would like play with their food a lot. That just bothered me. Like they've been planning this whole trip to get out from this underground cell this whole time. And then they're just fucking around. And like you mentioned, Dustin, where do they get all this red fabric to make these suits? where do they get all yeah. these, these scissors? I don't know. It, like I mentioned in the beginning, I'm not going to complain and just beat the movie to death. I do think it's solid. It's okay. It's just not my personal favorite. There's just too many things that bother me about it. And then the deaths, I feel like they were too neutered. Like even like the the neighbor, like it's off screen. Tex on the boat, they just squabble, and they pull away from it. 
it just, I don't know. I want to see more gore, more violence for what the context is. And I know the movie has some like sublim or like a, a message it's trying to tell, but I don't know, man, like Brian's mentioned and y'all have mentioned in the past, if I got to do all this research to figure out what the hell the message is, it just didn't work for me. I give it a five and a half. Uh-huh. I'll go ahead and go real quick. Uh, Favorite favorite kill for me was Red. The final fight was great, and Addy regressing into this primal state was great to see even more after you get that final twist. Uh, least favorite kill to me, there's a ton, I mean a ton, of off-screen kills. Like, we see bodies laying everywhere, so I'm not going to count those. I could have picked those cop-out, but I picked Pluto as well. Because, like you said, Nico, to me, it, would, it makes sense that they would mimic and mirror the... Uh, above ground people when they're below ground but once they get on the main level as well they're they're not mimicking them anymore they're not mirroring like you had that little moment in the closet with jason and pluto where he puts his hand up and he mirrors him there but to me that didn't make sense so i'm not sure why he mirrored jason and walked into the fire that bothered me as far as my closing thoughts and the rating so this is a movie i enjoy more and more every time i watch it like i said if we Ask me in a month or two if I've watched it again. I might even go up some more on the score. I don't know. First time, I admit, I, I didn't really care for it. But I like it. Jordan Peele is nothing short of a genius to me. The acting is great. The score is great. And the cinematography is great. I do have those questions I mentioned earlier. But like like you said, where are they getting this shit? Where are they getting the red jumpsuits? Where are they getting the scissors? All that. Um, but overall, it's a very good movie to me. You don't feel the runtime to me at all. I didn't, at least. I, it didn't feel two hours. I, I just, I was engaged the entire time. And the rewatchability factor to me is very high. I gave it a nine. All right, Mike, I'll go ahead and go because since we'll go back and forth here. Uh, my favorite kill was red as well, but it really wasn't because of the kill, but the fight choreography I thought was great. Nico hit it around the head. I mean, for a rated R movie, this the kills were very neutered. I, I would have liked. Is her name Kitty? Was that the 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 I, th- I think that's who uh, who it was. I, I really wanted to see Elizabeth that throat Moss. slash. Yeah, I really wanted to see that throat slash. Yeah. Like, and it cut away, and I was like, "Damn!" But uh, anyway, least favorite kill. I put the Jeremiah Eleven Eleven dude. Not what you expected, probably. I wish it had been a uh, tighter story with the less plot holes. And while no, it wasn't exactly what I wanted to hope for. You know, Peel is is definitely to be commended for what I said earlier being original and you know what he was trying to say with the movie uh it wasn't bad by any means again it just kind of left me disappointed and i gave it a flat six all right can't believe that this is gonna happen but my favorite kill favorite kill sorry i forgot look i don't know that other little boy's name but i fucking loved it i loved him walking back into the fire because they set it up they set it up earlier in the film when they're in the closet and they're basically fucking in there playing patty cake with each other. These two clearly are more linked together than the others. Now, I hear you. It is a plot hole that isn't explained very well. But because they set that kill up, I thought it was very smart from Jason to have him walk backwards into that fire knowing that it would work. I like that kill. I-, I thought it was really well executed and really well done. Uh, I thought it was smart. My least favorite, honestly, is Kitty because I'm like Brian. If we're going to tease a throat slash, I want to fucking see it, man. Give me that shit. I want Ronnie from Rob Zombie's Halloween. Give me that fucking deep-ass bloody throat slash, and we didn't get that. 
So that upset me a little bit. Okay. Um, I love, I, I really do love a lot of things in this movie. I like the story. Um, love the cinematography. Love the, the directing by Peel. The writing is really, really good, in my opinion. The music, the score, whole soundtrack is great. There's some plot holes, for sure, that I don't think they do a great job of answering. But I think overall, I'm willing to forgive them because I'm entertained the entire time. Like, I get what the story is trying to say. And because of that, I enjoy it a little bit more each time I rewatch it. Acting is fucking top notch. I don't think anybody slouches in this cast. Like, I think everyone brings their A game in this film to me. All that being said, Dustin, we are in this day together, brother, because I gave this a nine, which is 0.5 less than I gave Get Out. Yeah, it's 0.25 lower than I gave Get Out. Uh, that gives us a composite score of 7.375. IMDb has it at a 6.8. And now, this movie, this movie is at 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, certified fresh. Your mom's certified nice. fresh. I'm sorry. Hey, yo. What? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> My bad. All right, Kenny, y'all got any final thoughts on us before we just shout out our blood donors and I'll announce my pick for next week? All right, this was a good review. I was looking, I was actually looking forward to I re-listened to our Get Out episode the other night while I was cooking just because, you know, I wanted to kind of hear our thoughts on Jordan Peele's first movie. Uh, I, I do think the man is a very good filmmaker, but sometimes you just don't like the content that it makes, but that doesn't mean he's not talented, you know? Sure, sure. But anywho, yeah. let's shout out our blood donors. Anita Russell, final girl donor. We'll be doing her review, Pitch Black, in a few weeks. Appreciate your patience. Camper Lover Reoccurring, Clayton J, Nina, Michelle Mirza, the Horror Movie Crew Podcast, Alex Seligson, and Michael Evans. Camp Council Reoccurring, Edwin Hernandez-Gunn, Joe Swinford, Shan, Adrian Aiello, Karen, Brian Samick, Andrew Ferguson, Matt Strickland, Brooke Maley, Thorne David Phillips, and Heather Superdoc. Really appreciate y'all. Uh, takes a big burden off of us to help us pay these bills. means a lot to us that you help us out during these tough times. Uh, my pick for next week is, hell, I'm right there with you, Mike. I'm at the very end of my decade as well. 2019's The Lighthouse, Robert Eggers' second movie. Like y'all think about uh, Jordan Peele, I think Robert Eggers is a fucking is the man. I think he's a, a cinema superstar uh, just from a knowledge standpoint and how dedicated he is. I'm really looking forward to reviewing The Lighthouse. If y'all remember when we were all in the same room together doing our show at Mike's yeah. wedding, the Lighthouse was one I was, I said yep. over to almost two years ago, I was ready to review. So I'm ready to review it. Uh, appreciate y'all listening. Uh, it means a lot to us. Check out our DGOT, the series where we review film or horror series and TV shows. Really appreciate that. Y'all have a good one. Hashtag crawl daddy. Just want to remind everybody. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.